We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Hello and welcome to The Interruption, the Global Institute for Tomorrow podcast. In today's episode, we'll be addressing something that affects over half the world's population, urbanization. So actually, for this episode, we're based in Jakarta, the second largest urban sprawl in the world. So Chandran, we were discussing ideas on urbanization for this episode, and you came out with the line, these cities have no future. What did you mean by that? Well, firstly, let me say that that sounds a bit harsh, but what I really meant is that to attain the, the quality of life that the people who manage the cities often uh, talk about, I think this is almost impossible to do. The evidence is very clear. So that's what I meant by these cities have no future, uh, particularly if there's a continued belief that these need to get larger in order to create greater economic activity and productivity. But as we've seen this week uh, in, this, in a city like Jakarta, a, a beautiful old city, but essentially you know, uh, drowning under the weight of this uh, mythological view that urbanization can only be a net positive. Yeah, so when you said quality of life, mm-hmm. is that quality of life universal? Or? Well, uh, you know, the quality of life clearly cannot be just universal, but there are certain things that you could argue are universal. But let's leave universality aside. But let's talk about what would be an acceptable quality of life for people in, in in a large tropical city like Jakarta. What we've seen here is, of course, the uh, firstly, the most obvious one is the, tra- the traffic nightmares. The addition of cars and more roads has essentially created urban nightmares. Uh, the ability of individuals to exercise their, their rights in pursuit of some sort of dream and government supporting policies that are supposed that, you know, particularly with the automotive industry that are traditionally meant to be um, engines for industrialization and growth have created collective nightmares. Um, then there are the more basic things. Uh, you put 12 million people together uh, with no proper ability to manage uh, the, the sewerage, the water, the air quality, the space that is needed, housing, etc. Yeah. And you have a nightmare. So sticking with sort of traffic that you just mentioned, you're mm-hmm. right, it's a big nightmare. The government of Jakarta has actually recently, in the past two years, put a lot of effort and funding into redeveloping sort of the basic infrastructure. Yeah. But is creating roads, new roads, the, the answer to the traffic problem? Well, the old adage is uh, build more roads and fill them with more cars. Uh, the history of the developing world, particularly large cities, is always that uh, more roads is not the answer. So you have to have uh, policies that essentially allow you to dictate how many uh, the, um, vehicles can be on, on the roads at any one time, limit the amount of roads, uh, address the parking issues, you take away parking, people find different ways. And of course, um, the well-known uh, solution to all of this is public, uh, is public transport. But um, the point I was trying to refer to in terms of these cities of no future is these, these solutions of mass public transport, etc., um, have limits, even in a city like this. You, it is very unlikely that Jakarta will be able to afford, and from an engineering point, it's even arguable that it's very difficult uh, to have an underground rail system uh, or even an elevated system that is extensive. Uh, the, 
let alone talk about the the ugly sores they create in terms of the cities and it kind of destroy their their beauty in many ways so there's many aspects of this this is simply not possible we haven't even talked about solid waste yet but, exactly yeah. i mean going back to what you said earlier you said for a large tropical city like Jakarta. Yeah. What, why is it you threw in that word tropical? What is it about tropical cities that changes their management? Well, you know, uh, tropical cities essentially are humid, hot. Uh, they essentially, if not managed, can be uh, places where disease spread, etc. But, uh, you know, managing wastewater in cold Norway is very different from managing wastewater in hot, steamy Manila, Jakarta, or Kuala Lumpur, uh, things get uh, uh, putrid. Uh, they 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 really start to stink very soon. They create uh, uh, sources of uh, disease disease transmission, etc. Et this would not happen in Norway, where the average temperature for nine months uh, of the year is probably somewhere hovering between zero and five degrees. So tropical cities have a very different yeah. uh, dilemma. I mean, there's a there's, there's books written about why some countries are rich and some countries are poor from a geographical point of view. Temperature does affect everything. And in our part of the world, we have to understand the large tropical cities, in my view, are not a good idea. Yeah. And I argue that we should completely rethink these ideas. The idea of large cities is essentially came from economic theories that were essentially tested out in the in, in, the, in the Western world, and then they were transported across the world. But I think the evidence is very clear. Most of our large cities are dumps. I hate to say that, but they are. They're not the places that you would choose to live, and many people are stuck with them. We have to find different ways to now make the quality of life of people better. And for me, that means shrinking them. Sure, okay. So we touched on some of the problematic issues there, traffic, to to waste disposal in tropical regions. And you said that these cities are based on economic models which aren't really relatable or even or even useful yes. for the current city model. So yeah. you said that shrinking them's better. Yeah. But what other alternatives are there going forward to help these problems? Well certainly, you know, we are where we are. Uh, some of these cities are, are very large. Uh, I would argue, even from an engineering point of view, sorting out some of these problems will be so expensive uh, unless there's a major reallocation of resources, etc., which you could even argue may not be the best way in these cities to allocate resources, in these countries to allocate resources. Uh, the likelihood is that the quality of life in these cities will continue to, to, uh, to decline. What we do see is pockets where governments spend a disproportionate amount of money cleaning it up so that, you know, to tourists and middle class people, it looks nice. So you have these pockets where it all looks nice, a lot of money is spent. Again, you could argue that this is a disproportionate level of spending. The reality, as we've seen in a city like Jakarta, but you can find this in many places from Bangkok to Thailand, uh, to all the tropical cities, even in Africa, is that the periphery where the majority live uh, is essentially a disaster zone, right. right? So what are you going to do? So I would argue radical solutions to this. We cannot tinker with these issues. And a radical solution is a generational shift towards essentially investments in what we call small and secondary towns, re reconfiguring the regional economy, 
and people move out to them. That requires investments in those towns, the infrastructure, the supporting hinterland. And no one's really tried this because the mantra has been make them urban. Everyone wants to go urban. Everyone likes the bright lights. There's nothing in the human condition that says people are attracted by neon lights. Okay. So it sounds like there's a lot of management. A political like, will to change yeah, yeah. the idea that cities are the place to be. And as we've seen, a lot of people come to cities and they're trapped. They get poorer. The life the quality of life is worse. And governments still think there is a, a silver bullet to this. You know, just make every, every poor person in town an entrepreneur. Well, this is uh, not realistic, all right? So they could be doing things in other parts of the country that essentially create more to the economy and improve the quality of life. Rather than this, uh, and there's, there's this fixation with this dream that you come to the urban area and you will make it rich. Of course, many do, but they're a small segment of the large population who, as we've seen, swelter and suffer the noise, the humidity, the exposure to uh, disease and frankly just very unhealthy living yeah. conditions. I think it's worth saying at this point that literal millions in Jakarta are living life on the margins and many of them have migrated from rural regions and they don't have identification cards. Yes. No access to work, yeah. no access to education, no access to healthcare. That's right. Think of invisible yeah, and you know, this is not the single out Jakarta, but you could go anywhere in the developing world, you'll see this. One could, and I'm going to be rather, you know, uh, uh, controversial here. Frankly, when we, these countries were developing, we had no ideas of our own. So we have many of these development experts who essentially talked about rural development, but urbanization was essentially yeah. the, the macroeconomic uh, generator of wealth and rural development was essentially to feed poor pe people in the urban areas and you know there is a understanding that if the urban areas are calm meaning people are well fed everything will be okay so what's happened is uh, these the cities are not out of control that's probably the apt word and um, you what should have happened 30 40 years ago was a system whereby everyone had an identity yeah. And in fact, um, putting controls on how many people could come into cities. Uh, and this sounds draconian, and many people might think I'm talking with some system of controlling people, but it's essentially making sure that people are distributed in a way that they can live lives where they are born and investments are attracted to those places rather than they move, usually a large city, and investments all go in there. And the evidence to date is we have created uh, really quite messy places. And if you're middle class, you're kind of lucky, but you're surrounded by squalor and, yeah. and, and, and the air is everywhere. So you can't escape that, the bad air. That's quite poignant. So we're in Jakarta actually at the moment because of the leadership programs that the Global Institute for Tomorrow runs. Yeah. And in fact, as we're recording this episode, our participants are developing a model in aid of job creation yeah. in Jakarta. Yeah. So moving on to a tangible solution now, what are the considerations of making a theoretical business model like this a reality? Well, we have to be, firstly, as uh, we've said to the, 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 the participants, you have to be realistic. 
there's the big policy side of essentially you know restricting flow investing in rural areas etc but we are focused on um, what we're dealing with today which is tens of thousands tens of millions of people who come from the rural countryside uh, in uh, with the dream of making it rich improving their lives and are stuck they're not in our jobs clearly what we mean by not in our jobs we're not talking about university educated people here either so these are essentially people who need certain skills that they can essentially offer themselves into what is hopefully a growing economy that can absorb them. That is a different, uh, different challenge that all of the countries with a large youth population are facing. But what we're focused on here is saying is someone comes to the rural area, they don't have various skills, they therefore live in appalling conditions to their families, the first thing, and this is uh, on the back of what, let's, let's be also very clear, what the, you know, the government in Jakarta is already trying to do. We're just trying to add to them yeah. some new yeah. ideas. And the first thing they need is skills that are essentially absorbable within the economy. There's often a desire to just talk about entrepreneurship as some sort of blanket coverage of uh, the economy that allows all these people to essentially become entrepreneurs. This, this is uh, a very dangerous kind of idea. Um, you know, most people cannot be entrepreneurs and that's not a bad thing. What you need is for most people to have skills that they can contribute worth, in a worthwhile way. In Asia, and particularly countries like India, et cetera, and Indonesia, at least in India, the numbers are staggering. Of a workforce of half a billion people, some of the estimates are 90% of these people have no skills. So what do those skills look like? They would look like very basic skills uh, how, how to be a plumber, how to, be, how to essentially be a welder, how to do masonry work, how to build a home, etc. These are skills that are needed in a, in, a, in, in a large volume. So the ideas that the group are looking at is how to create uh, in, an institutional framework supported by the private sector and the government that essentially allow hundreds of thousands of these disenfranchised people to essentially learn some basic skills. That isn't a three-year university college course. Yeah. It could be a two-month welding course because that's all it takes. And then they get, a, they get some sort of certification that allows them to go into the workforce because the legitimacy of the training allows them access to certain jobs. So that's basically what we're sure. looking at. So if I can paraphrase you, Dave, what you're saying is for the disenfranchised people who live on the margins, education is not the same as skills. That's right. They need is skills in order to able to it's a form of education. I would flip it around and say, most times we think of education as essentially, you know, learn a subject in detail, pass an exam, and then try and get a job at a, a legal firm, a bank, or a multinational company. But education is essentially tooling people up with the most basic skills. No country can have hundreds of thousands of people, uh, millions of young people, all being software engineers, and they should not. But a country does need people who know how to do very skilled work, which includes building roads. And they're just not laborers. Uh, people who know how to attend to mechanical issues. Um, operations maintenance, you don't need a degree, but you need yeah. very specific skills. And you know, many countries, and again, coming back to the issue of tropics, operation and maintenance as we urbanize and become modern is so important. Yet very few have understood how important it is to have an operation and maintenance culture. Hundreds of thousands of people who maintain buildings. 
Why? Because it's hot, it rains, it's humid. Much of the infrastructure we build is not the same as building a road in uh, a temperate area, which has different challenges and low population. Here, the usage is high. You have rain, sun the same day. You have so many weather implications that operation and maintenance is critical as we build modern infrastructure. Look around the buildings, uh, you know, just cleaning the buildings, getting them right. It's not just cheap labor, it's actually skilled labor, but without a university degree. These are very important jobs. Yeah. So as a kind of synthesis of the arc of this episode, mm -hmm. you talked about the problems that occur in tropical urban centers mm -hmm. and how there isn't actually much so you're talking about a lot of centralized planning, right, where the government steps in and actually takes real action to improve people's lives at a national level, but also at an urban level. How, would, how does the government need to be in the future to actually be able to enforce these decisions? Well, firstly, um, there isn't a recognition enough uh, among city planners in hot tropical cities of what I call the ecology of these cities. These cities are not the same as saying, hey, I went to London, they do this. The ecology of London or a New York is very different, or Tokyo is very different from the ecology of a Southeast Asian, hot, humid, tropical city. So first you need to understand that. I don't think there's enough work done in understanding the constraints and limits of the ecology of cities and how big can they be? No one's looked at this. So my point is, they're so big, uh, you know, just walk out of this hotel and three minutes away, you've got open sewers, which are essentially used to be maybe 50, 60 years ago, small streams. Bangkok, all the waterways which are full of fish are now sewers. Ecology, because if you don't have sewerage systems, you don't invest in them, they turn a putrid. So there's no understanding of this. If you understand that, then city planners start to create a different vision then you have to articulate that and you have to mainstream a whole different vision of development. But you can't just impose things without creating an awareness within the people of what the cities are going to look like. Very few politicians are willing to go out and say, we have to reverse this trend. Why? Because they have no ideas of their own. They have bought into traditional uh, macroeconomic thinking, which, you know, uh, is essentially a Western model of economic yeah. development, uh, which was right at a time for certain uh, nations, nations, etc., but completely inappropriate for these sorts of cities because, as I said, the ecology is very different. So they need to mainstream it. And I think people are going to say, okay, we have been now told we have to think very differently, and now there are incentives for us to do this and that and move here and move there. And those smaller towns are being developed, the government's investing in that. There is no such thinking. Instead, we pump billions of dollars into essentially worsening the dumps. Yeah. Thank you very much, Chanjan. That's all we have time today. So, if you're interested in the future sustainability, check out our content on the GIFT website. That's www.global-inst.com. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. No, sir.